1: I'm curious, George, uh, on the show, your your view of the emergence of uh, AEW.
0: Sure. Well, you know, I think
2: we've had it before. um, the, The live content ecosystem is competitive. So whether you're talking about the NFL, which kind of stands alone, or that next tier of us, the NBA, baseball, NASCAR, and then you start kind of moving down and you get to third or fourth tier. So everybody is a competitor to some degree. Uh, ultimately, uh, what we try to do is, uh, you know, drive as much engagement as we can on Monday and Friday nights. Uh, and you feel pretty good uh, out of our, our, our history in doing that and then our ability to continue doing that in the future. So uh, if are a competitor, like, you know, there's a lot of competition for eyeballs. So uh, and we take them seriously,
3: and our expectation is we win. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. This is the WWE Q3 2019 edition of WrestleNomics Radio, we're going to talk about all the news that developed on Thursday's conference call and earnings report uh, covering the months of july august and september of 2019 of course there was the, the documents dropped at 9 a.m the conference call was held at 11 a.m vince mcmahon was nowhere to be found he was in saudi arabia george barrios and michelle wilson were left to do the conference call all by themselves and uh, eventually w talent made their way home from saudi arabia i think just just minutes ago since we started recording this the, the w talent has uh, has escaped uh saudi arabia and, uh, and I've got uh, a guest joining me who's also been flying around the world. Have you been to Saudi Arabia? I don't know. But, but Chris Harrington from AEW is here to join us again to talk about WWE Q3.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, here to learn a little bit more about WWE Q3 results. I was in Charleston, West Virginia this week for our uh, live event in Dynamite. The wrestling Google, Google Trends capital of the world. The state is, that always does exceptionally well in Google Trends does. for wrestling-related topics and very good fans there and uh, we had a very good time and uh, you know I wanted to learn a little bit more about what was happening in WWE so I turned to the best source for wrestling economics and financial analysis that's out there and that's the WrestleNomics podcast mm-hmm. and I figured I would get a um, you know like, like they talk about those super Computers that they use for trading to get the edge on everyone else. You know, I figured I could get the, 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 the scoop on everyone else by actually being on the podcast. So I don't even have to listen to it. I already know what's happens before it's released to everyone else. Unfair advantage, huh?
3: Yeah, this, the, the future is, is not just artificial intelligence, but organic intelligence right here. And uh, <laughs> you, uh, you even called me the other day to, uh, to a, a totally, a totally uh, charitable, non-paid consultation from me about what, what just happened. Uh, I did.
2: I did. I was flying and I had to, I flew from Charleston to Atlanta to Minnesota and which is good. You'd think I'd fly to Chicago, but uh, Chicago got like snowed out, which caused a lot of travel problems on our side. Uh, so it was nice to, uh, instead go that way. And so I was sitting in the Atlanta airport and I figured, Hey, I got an hour to kill. Why don't I call Brandon Howard Thurston, the third, uh, the, uh, the, the man who just lost one of his purses, uh, his winner's purse.
3: Yeah. Uncharted Territory you're referring to. Uh I, I sacrificed my winner's purse so I could uh kick Jay Freddy between the legs, but it was well worth it. Six and a half well, hours well, you, there, six and a half hours back. Well worth it though.
2: Well, I was gonna say I can I can find out if Mr. Hager would like to um work with you on a one on one basis, yeah, if that would help. A, that's a great idea. Well we could we can talk about that offline. There we go. So uh WWE Q three, um what was kind of a big takeaway for you? As we saw this, I think for me, the biggest thing was probably seeing that stock reaction, um, good, bad or indifferent. Uh, when the stock goes down as much as it did, you know that WWE can't be thrilled with that information.
3: Yeah, the stock dropped 15%. I think it maybe got, even got up to 16% uh, on the day, on Thursday. Came back about 1.5% on Friday. So that's a lot of money uh, that, that W lost in market capital. Uh, WB announced that they were changing their profit, uh, projection. The adjusted EBITDA target moved from 200 million on the year to 190 to 180 million on the year. And, uh, as we were just talking about before we started recording, an enormous amount of that adjusted OEBDA, which again is a profit metric, is, is expected to be reported in Q4. They said 108 to 109 million in adjusted EBITDA for Q4. And why is this happening? Why did, why did the stock drop? Why are the, the profit metrics being adjusted? W expected to have a MENA deal, they talked about on this report. which is what, the, what does MENA stand for? MENA stands for Middle East, North Africa. So I think up until uh, April of this year, WB had a TV deal in the Middle East region with a, a network called OSN. And uh, that that deal expired in April, and they're looking for a deal to replace that one. George Berrios, who's the co-president of WB, said he expected to have uh, that deal completed earlier in Q3, but it is not completed still. Also, the India TV deal, their number three TV deal overall uh, has still not been completed, and that was projected uh, quite a bit earlier to have been done by the middle of this year. And so that's not, that's not done yet. In addition to those things, we got a number of metrics that we're probably going to dig into deeply. A number of metrics are are showing some negative decline, there, are, so some some downward trends
2: uh, so and country. And of those two deals, I think the India deal is really relevant. Um, In terms of if you're actually trying to talk about how much money is being put in the coffers from a single media deal, like you said, the number three deal, a deal that um, I think in the conclusion of the final year of the current India deal was possibly projected in 2019 to be larger than even the UK deal in terms of media rights. Um, The MENA deal, I don't think it's actually all that relevant in terms of, you know, big money. Moving or, or leaving, I'm sure they have had you know one-off Asian deals, one-off Australia deals, other deals like that, maybe even the China stuff that has been bigger or smaller than that. But um, for a company that spends, obviously, time in the Middle East uh, with the Saudi Arabia show being this past week, um, the MENA deal might be relevant from a strategic standpoint there. Even though I don't think the MENA deal actually covers Saudi Arabia is something specifically they might have even addressed on the uh, Q&A, right? I don't know if they addressed that, but, so, but I think the
3: OSN deal. You never get real numbers publicly about this, but uh, I, I got the impression that the OSN deal, which was their deal in the Middle East, was, let's see, their, their number one deal is obviously the U.S., U.K., India, maybe Canada four, and I, I would guess maybe
2: OSN around maybe number five or so that's possible that is possible i mean um again it kind of depends on each different country with you know who's driving wwe network subscribers or whether that's becoming a pay channel or or other elements of, of the tours that can be involved obviously australia last year where they did the super showdown show uh having good television distribution there in australia helped you be able to have a huge tour like that yeah and then just
3: another thing on the mina deal i got the impression that I think I was confused after the last quarterly call that it seemed to me that the MENA deal and the Saudi deal for these big Saudi events were somehow tied together. And someone, an analyst did ask Berrios on the call a question about that. And in my, uh, I'm very practiced in the language of Berrios. And I think he was saying, no, they're not tied together. That's, that's what I took away from that, that this is a separate thing. I don't know if this, this TV deal would even cover broadcasts within the country
2: of Saudi Arabia. But they do see yeah, different things because OSN sends for the Orbit Showtime Network, and it's a direct broadcast satellite provider serving the Middle East and North Africa. But it's based in Dubai, um, so being a Dubai-based company, I would think it's not necessarily um, relevant to uh, Saudi Arabia in particular. Um, though it does say actually, its headquarters are UAE. Egypt and Saudi Arabia. So maybe, maybe it is uh, related in some ways. But we also know that um uh, the, the Dubai, I'm sorry, the Saudi Arabia deal is really part of the 2030 push. And so I would think that that's really a very different kind of bucket of money and, and, and development that's going on with them. Yeah. So let's talk about, we, W expects to still break
3: its adjust to EBIT record for the year. They didn't re, they've they've been projecting also a billion dollars in revenue. They didn't say anything about that. So I don't know if they're going to meet that, that goal or not. They'll probably still break whatever their revenue record was that they set last year. I think it's somewhere in the 800 millions. But but yeah, they still project that they're going to break the adjusted to record for the year, which again, they're projecting 180 to 190 million. And, uh, but an enormous, the the majority of that is going to come, uh, it looks like in, in Q4. Is that the majority? Yeah, over 100 million in Q4 is what they're projecting. And uh, and we, we, we took some time before we started recording to figure out wh- what's going on with W's profit metrics and, and why everything is so loaded up into Q4. And there's been so much less in, in terms of the profit metrics in the other three quarters of the year. And we found this uh, interesting passage in the most recent
2: quarterly report uh, on page
3: 45.
2: You yeah. Know, cash generated from operating activities was $2.3 million in nine months ended September 30th, 2019 as compared to $121.5 million for the corresponding period in the prior year. The $119.2 million decrease in the current year period was primarily driven by the timing of collections associated with our Super Showdown event, which was held in the second quarter of 2019. This would be the Saudi Arabia event. Combined with a lower operating performance and increased payout of management incentive compensation in the current year. So... uh three things going on there right number one is they haven't necessarily got the collections from super showdown event which suggests to me that's money that had not actually uh, entered the coffers of wwe by september 30th 2019 uh number two uh lower operating performance, and that was something we saw in the Q1 results, because in, in Q1, that's kind of where the operating income, at least Delta, started, where they were Q1 of last year, they're at 21800000 million. Q1 of this year, they were at $6.8 And when they talked about that, they said it was increased fixed costs, including strategic investments, higher stock compensation costs driven, uh, driven by increase in the company's stock price. And so that was kind of touching on that third point, the increased payout of management incentive compensation in the current year, which was... When you had a really good year in 2018, you had to pay all the executives for that. And so those bonuses and everything started to hit in 2019 is what it sounds like. Yeah. So big takeaway I get from this is
3: as of September 30th, at least, the, the Saudis owe w tens of millions of dollars, not related to Crown Jewel that just happened, but related to Super Showdown that happened
2: in May. It would appear that that's something that they are saying at this time um based on that passage we read about at least cash receipts uh you know i I was conflating cash and operating income at one point there but uh just really surprising to me to see you know when you're 119 million dollars less on hand um but you still think your adjusted to is going to be somewhere in the 180 190 range um so that's so i don't i I want to speculate too wildly here but let's let's we know that
3: on Thursday, uh, Vince, Vince wasn't there for the conference call. It sounds
2: like a wild speculation, by the way. So go
3: ahead. <laughs> I, yeah. So Vince wasn't there for the call. He was in Saudi Arabia. He was in Riyadh. Um, the, 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 the stock took a big hit. Um, and there's, there's rumors about, just rumors, but there's rumors about, uh, you know, what, what's the real reason why WWE Talent was left in the airport? Was the, according to WWE's uh, own statement, there were mechanical issues with with the plane that was not able to get them from Riyadh to Buffalo in time for SmackDown. Um, and here we have a, a, a paragraph in the most recent quarterly report that came out on Thursday saying that you know the, the Saudis owe them I don't know it, at least tens of millions of dollars. Those those Saudi events so far have looked to be worth somewhere between thirty and fifty million dollars uh, per event. Um, so, so maybe there's rumors that, uh, among talent, I think Sean Ross Sapp has, has reported that there are the rumors and only rumors among talent that, uh, maybe there was a disagreement between the Saudis and Vince. Meltzer says that the real reason, you know, perhaps only Vince knows what the real reason is. But, uh, here we have rumors of a disagreement between Vince and the Saudis and some evidence here in, in WSEC filing that suggests that the Saudis ahead of this event owed them millions and
2: millions of dollars. So that's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, when we think about why is Q4 going to be so profitable for WWE, the biggest reason is the brand new TV deals in the United States for both USA Network and for Fox kick in October 1st, 2019. So essentially, WWE has a huge step up in the amount of money that they're receiving for their television product without necessarily – a huge increase in the cost of producing those shows Though as we will see when we get into some of this, the specifics here We are seeing that live events are becoming less profitable um, And exactly why that is Would probably take a little bit more um, uh, vetting To say is that because attendance is down Is that because talent costs are up Is it because production costs are up um but all in all what we're seeing is live events cost a lot to produce, not necessarily being profitable, but media segment is gonna be hugely profitable. And I think you have a number in here that suggests that the adjusted to weebda number for Q4 is gonna be somewhere in the $108 million range, right? Right. 108 to 109. Yeah, and if we look at last year um adjusted to um for WWE, let me see if I can find it on the trending schedule anywhere. Uh adjusted to for Q4 of last year, it was 70. 70- Uh, I'm sorry, 64.4 million. So we're talking about an increase of almost 36 million coming just from, from, uh, next, uh, quarter. So that'll be very interesting to kind of look at where that is. And primarily I would expect it to be driven in the media segment. You know, I wouldn't expect it to be coming anywhere in consumer products, for instance. And the corporate number is, is hard always to kind of, um, pull apart because that involves everything from, you know, the extra, extra investment in staffing all the way through uh, other kind of strategic investments that they're making on a headcount level or on other kinds of um, management levels, Mm -hmm. leases and aircrafts and other things that they sometimes also throw in there. So the stock price
3: as of Friday's close of the market was $55 and 96 cents. That's down to the levels of spring 2018, just before uh, I believe just before the TV deals were announced for, with, uh, with Fox and NBC Universal.
2: Which is funny because I, I saw on Seeking Alpha a article yesterday. Uh, I didn't get a chance to read it, but it was something about like WWE is, is it, let's see if I can find the, uh, the exact title of it. Um, a, t- a tapped out growth story. There it is. That was it. A tapped out growth story from Books research, B O O X. And I was just amused because it's kind of like, you know, we see all the time this endless kind of um cycle of of financial analysis around WWE. Either it is the hottest and best thing in the universe and it's gonna shoot to a hundred dollars in a second, or it is it is dead and dying and is never gonna rebound. And you know, the the biggest things for people to understand about wwe is just the monumental position they've been able to put themselves in with their incredible tv rights deals in my opinion where you know they have a really good leverage there because they have a structured structured revenue source for the next many years that is pretty much guaranteed revenue and um I imagine that's very 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 valuable when you're trying to plan out your industry and that's why it gives them the support and the the comfort for them to start making other changes in the industry around their network and other kinds of uh, territories that they can develop and go into because you you can have essentially a better, you know, a profile that you you can operate against. And more and more, you know, it it's going to come from that media segment and in that media segment we also see that the deals like the Saudi Arabia deals get looped in there. So, you know, it's, it's a combination of both that improvement on TV rights and on, uh, you know, a 10 year deal that, that delivers them a lot of money in theory when they pay, I guess. Um, but a, a 10 year deal. And so all those sort of different things, I just think it's always funny because it's like the financial press is always kind of sprinting after whatever happened to the stock this week, not really reacting to what's really the fundamentals one way or the other. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, the, Quick
3: overview of WWE as a company is that they've they've got enormous TV deals, the biggest in the history of pro wrestling. They got which were a, a 3.6x increase over their last five years worth of TV deals in the U.S. Uh, and those TV deals are going to largely drive the company to break its financial records for each of the next five years through 2024 when they when these deals expire. Um, and WWE is going to be pretty safe at least until then. And who know, and, and I sort of the future of, of WWE is in large part going to be determined by what is, what is the future value of live sports and sports like content and what is, what is, how, how valuable is WWE with, within that environment? Um, well,
2: and, and, and what's your ability to target your consumer and reach them effectively? So, you know, the, the better you understand your fans, the better you can communicate with your fans or, or directly market to them. There's value there. So, you know, the network right now might be seen as a pay-per-view delivery device, but, you know, they listen to George talk about it. He will talk about how it's a big data center, right? Mm -hmm. It's a way for them to understand what you're watching, what you're buying, what you like and how to target you. And I got to believe in five years from now, the more ability people have to kind of micro target their audience against something, there's going to be a lot of other companies out there that are curious about that so it's it's not just media i I just want to make the the point that i I don't think w w e is just this t v company you know they are doing other things they're making they're making other moves and there's value to those moves because there's other companies out there that are gonna be very intrigued about how they can partner with them for those because of those
0: moves
3: yeah at the same time WWE has seen a lot of their metrics decline so you want to get into this i've I've created a spreadsheet that compares each of the first nine months of the year for years. 2015 through 2019. And, uh, I think, I think you see a remarkable trend as the years get closer and closer to the present where I've got, I've got 25 of these metrics here and we can maybe just go through a, a few of them, but, uh, I've got 25 metrics and by, uh, you know, in 2015, uh, six, the, the difference between 2016, or, sorry, the difference between 2015 and 2016, uh, 16 of them were, were positive. Seven of them are negative. And now here we are in 2019, where if you compare it to the previous year, 2018, five of them are positive, 21 of them are, are negative. Uh, does that make so, sense?
2: So, yeah, let, let's kind of make sure that people understand what, what are these metrics you're looking at since, you know, you, you could be saying uh, number of matches John Cena wrestled could be a metric. And, and it uh, should be. That's obviously, that's obviously plummeted. You, you would I, find
3: great correlation in business success with the number of, of matches John Cena wrestles, I think. But uh, should I just rattle them all off?
2: Well, let's, uh, we'll, we'll do them in like groups of three or something. So right. first we have some revenue numbers. So the first one is, is net income, operating income, and, and overall revenue. And, uh, these numbers are all three down. 58.4 million net income dropping to 7.8. 61.1 million operating income dropping to 16.7. And overall revenue 65. I'm sorry, 657.7 million dropping to 637.6 million. Um so uh, drops respectively of eighty seven percent seventy three percent and three percent um it is worth mentioning uh that for a this operating this overall net income number is just baffling it's so low same with the overall uh operating income number um but the revenue number is obviously huge you know the the years prior to this they hadn't broken six hundred million and now they're your both numbers are are north of six hundred million but um really interesting to see. This is certainly something where looking at the 12-month numbers will be very interesting. And we know that there's been small changes, whether it's collections, whether it's uh, accounting practices with Gap, whether it just has to do with how you're you're taking in certain accounts receivable. Um, but the 12-month number next quarter will tell a big trend difference there. But uh, WWE seems to be indicating they, they think it's going to bounce back. But certainly those three revenue numbers are down. On the flip side, the core content rights number is up, 197.6 going up to 209.3 because uh, they've always had these escalating deals. So short of changes in timing when it comes to something like Total Bellas or international TV deals that don't get renewed or um, number of episodes that can air in a quarter, right? So every now and then there'll be one extra episode or one less episode. Uh, You expect that number to pretty much be going always up. But uh, for those revenue numbers... Uh, mostly down with the exception of of total rights uh, from the core content rights, which is what we understand is basically raw smackdown TV rights is another way of kind of putting that.
3: Yeah, and I, I think it's remarkable that you see from 2015, you know, revenue, net income and operating income, they grow from year to year until this year, or even revenue is down 3%. So I know we, yeah. maybe there's some weird accounting stuff happening that's going to get resolved. With with, with the last quarter, but you still got revenue that's down three percent from last year through through these first nine months of the year.
2: Yeah, I think for me personally, um, I would like to focus a little bit more on kind of what are the underlying metrics around you know specific parts of the company Um, because I think revenue is it's you're sloshing together everything, right? You're sloshing together whether or not the Saudi money got paid with the how many t-shirts did you sell? So let's go into maybe some of the more um, minuscule metrics that we can then kind of say what's happening from thing to thing. Mm-hmm. So average uh,
3: network subscribers worldwide uh, grew every year until this year, down 5% from the first nine months of last year.
2: And what, what do you think is going on there? I, I have I have my own little theory, and I'm kind of curious to hear yours. Why do you think that network subscribers has basically plateaued and dropped?
3: Because I think... I've, I've seen some people tweet at me, well, maybe, you know, there's so many more streaming options out there and everybody's, you know, Disney's going to launch a streaming service and uh, Amazon Prime has become more popular. I, I think, though, that ultimately it's the biggest reason of all is just the, uh, the quality of the content and whether or not people want to see it and whether or not that WWE has created new stars in place of John Cena, who's more absent this year than ever. Uh, w hasn't created content that people want to pay to see.
2: I wonder when was the relaunch kind of completed? So in January is when they they signed with Endeavor to replace BAM Tech. Uh, it was and, it was like the they day relaunched be- it in August of 2019, right before SummerSlam.
3: The, the the network relaunch was like the day before the last call in July. Yeah,
2: yeah. So my my thought is perhaps when the network kind of relaunched that forced you in well, at least for me, a lot of people maybe to have to log in again. And when you had to actually go and reset your password and log in, I think that friction might have caused some people to kind of spend some time rethinking about whether or not it was worth it for them to do it, to, to pay for the service. And that might have caused some, some amount of friction. I also think it is the, um, I, the launch of other streaming competitors. We are seeing, you know, we, we continue to see, you know, USA Network lost 2 million uh, houses between this year and last year it's 90 million down to 88 million. You know, there there are changes happening. And when you see that happening, I I do think that it part, part of that is driven by competitiveness in the streaming territory where increasingly I'm guessing it's, you know, the Hulus and the Amazon primes and the Netflix of the world that are not only gobbling up some of the competitors, but at the same time, um, we're seeing, you know, like you said, the Disney pluses or the HBO goes or the other kind of places that are, are launching here that are fighting for your dollar, whether it's ESPN plus or DAZN or whatever, you know, that's going to be a real challenge to WW uh, WWE network to make sure that they're staying relevant. At the same time, 1.6 million subscribers is a very healthy number for a service. And obviously, um, it, the, the goal there was probably to maintain and then try to see if maybe it's going to can grow from there. Yet Netflix is still growing somehow. Um didn't didn't Netflix actually have like their first quarter where they were no longer growing domestically or something recently?
3: I maybe, maybe I'll I'll find a minute to look. But but I think uh, you know this is sort of along the lines of what Barrios will say about how we everyone is competition. Our our competition is the NFL and it's Netflix and it's sleep and it's and it's uh, what's that video game called?
2: <laughs> oh 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 Fortnite! Fortnite! Maybe? Fortnite! Fortnite. Um, yes, uh, but uh, Netflix growth is majority driven of the last two quarters international. Yeah. It, it was it was actually almost negative in Q2. Uh, they, they actually lost domestic subscribers in Q2. They gained they? slightly in Q3, according to Business Insider Intelligence. Um, but that was, of course, a, a big, you know, interesting story there. And they were just basically saying Disney Plus, HBO Max, Peacock. Um, those are all things that are beginning to kind of dent, you know, Netflix growth domestically. Uh, is the interest in those things, at least. So
3: Netflix domestically has had a quarter where it was down from the same quarter of the previous year.
2: That's my understanding. Or um, or the same uh, – the prior – I think Netflix doesn't view their net additions well, they don't. Uh, yeah, year over yeah, yeah. year, but I think Make they a do quarter queue, over queue. quarter. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't view themselves so much as a cyclical – Right. Because right. They don't have thing. a WrestleMania. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the point being, you know, we, we are seeing this happening in other industries. So I, it's not that I think that it's a good sign for WWE. I just mean to say, I, I don't think we should count it as WWE is the only OTT service out there that's losing people. To me, it's a sign that the OTT um, space is consumers are becoming more and more uh, stratified and strategic in what they want to spend their, their money with mm so i've got global
3: streaming paid memberships for Netflix have increased every quarter for the last what is this five six qu- five quarters i'm looking at yes. their, I'm looking at their investor site now yes
2: so um, let let's look at some of these other um other so, so like know, just just real
3: quick like my my thought is like that uh is streaming a a fully mature business like overall as, as people bec- as broadband becomes more ubiquitous throughout the world as streaming devices become more accepted and, and you know, people have, are less averse to using them shouldn't your subscribership can still continue to be growing because this this technology is still being introduced to a lot of people who have yet to use it I mean,
2: now where I would always kind of go to my next spot is to say if you're not getting them as network subscribers and they're not necessarily growing on TV um, ratings are you getting the viewers somewhere else? Are you getting them on AVOD or YouTube. YouTube? So what did we learn on AVOD or YouTube this quarter? So AVOD views
3: were flat, but viewing time was up. I, I did my own investigation on socialblade.com to just look at their YouTube uh, channel. So so when W reports their AVOD, which is ad-supported video on-demand numbers and their KPIs, they're reporting not just YouTube, but YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. All, all video views across all those platforms. Uh, but if you just look at their YouTube views, the YouTube views in these nine months versus the nine months of the last year, were actually down 13%. We went from, uh, 6.8 billion in this year to 9.8 billion in last year.
2: And what about, um, other, you know, Twitter or Facebook or anything like that?
3: Twitter, Facebook growth, uh, did even the other social media fall that doesn't make sense oh the, the growth the growth rate fell But but uh fa- yeah, so, so the, the so story Facebook is... has basically
2: been flat right yeah, is I think that the, Facebook the... is is growing at like 02 percent yes. on the nine month rolling basis uh based versus a year ago and twitter is up one percent but then you see other social media growth is up 11 percent and what i can say is my feeling is that's going to be strongly influenced by instagram yeah my my understanding is that wwe really does a great job um exploiting is probably the right word but employing uh uh instagram as a tool for them to really uh have a lot of impressions and a lot of followers, and yeah. and do a lot with. And compared to Facebook and and Twitter,
3: Instagram is a newer platform. And I think Twitter, we could look into this more deeply by looking at Twitter as an investor site. But I think that the Twitter multi-active users is basically plateaued within the last year or so. Um, I think Facebook is is starting to get into a similar state, and uh, Instagram is probably still growing. But the the story with WB, I think, is Facebook is basically flat, Twitter. Has gotten really slow in growth for them. But uh, other social media, including Instagram, is still growing, but the growth is slowing down versus last year.
2: And when we look at like specific segments here, like live events, we see live events operating income really took a hit this, uh, in the nine month period here. It's, it's 8.7 million compared to 15.2 a year ago for the nine months. Uh, the live events revenue is down 11%, 98.2 million compared to 109.8 million and, uh, North American. Uh, average attendance over nine months here is 4,900 versus 5,200. I think um the individual numbers for just this one quarter was something like, what, 4,400 compared to maybe 4,500, something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh you know, North American numbers. What is probably different and is intriguing is the number of events they're running. You know, I think they only ran something like 210 events uh year to date so far compared to a year ago year to date. They would have run about 246. So we are seeing them begin to um, run slightly less events overall um, internationally we're seeing a contraction in attendance um, total attendance in um uh you know average'm i sorry average attendance north in international is forty eight hundred compared to fifty seven hundred that's the nine month rolling number If you're just saying like what does total attendance look like? They did a little over a million people this year for nine months a year ago they did one point two 8 million people. Um, and then internationally, they did 144,000 this year. A year ago, they did 188,000 for the nine month period. So, um, really, just speaking to the fact that WWE is running slightly less shows and the shows are slightly less attended. And that probably drove the reason that for this year, the operating income in Q3 for live events was negative $3.5 million, dollars, um, which marks, you know, uh, the Third time in five quarters that they've had a negative live events um operating income. They did it in Q3 last year, they did it in Q3 this year, and they did it in Q1 this year. So uh again, I wonder if some of that comes from the fact that they might be, for instance, spending more on television shows. And when you spend more on the TV shows, you're gonna see it higher media, but you're not gonna see it in the live event segment. Um, it could also be that the drop in attendance is hurting them. And I'm sure that they have run some house shows that are unprofitable um just based on the amount of um infrastructure that it goes into that. And since, you know, overall that their live events number is negative, that would seem to me to imply that you're running shows that are not profitable. Um, but that again, they always have those choices around you know, where where they're marketing and what they're doing. And when you look at things like average ticket price, um you know, I know you have some numbers in here about how the average ticket price for North America is up 6% over the nine month period to 56.64 mm-hmm. compared to 53.68. Uh, I, the one thing I would say about that is whenever you are seeing a contraction in your attendance, if you're running similar sized arenas, that means a higher proportion of your, your fans are probably going to be the ringside people. And that's going to be the higher value seats. So I don't know whether that actually means WWE is raising ticket prices as much as it just might mean, you know, think about it. If if you sold a hundred seats and all hundred of them are ringside, and then you could sell a hundred one seats, and that next seat there is going to be a lower price ticket. Suddenly your average ticket price would start to fall, right? So as soon as you contract back into more and more people being ringside or closer to the ring, the more the the ticket price is going to appear higher. So you have to be able to look at both the volume and the price before you can really met out whether or not they're they're actually raising their ticket prices. But we are seeing an increase of the ticket price average at the same time we're seeing overall attendance for them begin to decline. On the flip side, international, it's 65.18 versus 93.18. Um, international ticket price is always really hard to – completely met out because a you have you know if you had the big australia tour last year but then this year you're going to Saudi arabia or if you have um currency exchange or if you decide to run shows in japan one time and then you don't the next year or mexico or or where you go in the uk it's a little bit harder unless you start breaking it down kind of country by country yeah and i I, when we talk about
3: average ticket price my understanding is that that's not just the average of all tickets that are put on sale but it's the average of all the tickets that are sold. So basically just just revenue divided by paid attendance. Um, But I think it's interesting if you look at the last nine months or the the first nine months of 2019, it's $8.7 million in operating income last quarter. Q2, which contains WrestleMania had $12.4 million. So without that quarter, this is a a live events division that's losing money overall. And I'd be curious if you could uh, just take out WrestleMania, the single events, Uh, maybe this, division doesn't make any money at all. Maybe it's all in the neg- in the negative because I could see the live event WrestleMania being worth 8.7 million dollars in operating income.
2: But again, you, you in a certain sense you have to think about it as a combination in my mind of both the live event and media because you know the TV show might lose money because you have to spend so much to produce that TV show. but when you add in how much you'd make for media, it might be a profitable endeavor. Um, just because we're we're reaching, you know, we're asking for more and more. You know, those big LED boards don't aren't the cheapest things in the world. Sure. But so, how about those non-media events, as they call them in, in
3: W corporate speak, the the house shows? I've I've argued I, before, W, if they're losing this much money, or they're losing money on live events overall, the non-media events, the events that don't produce any W network content or TV content, maybe you should run fewer of them. Maybe you would, it, you know, you would not be able to sell as much venue merchandise, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. And uh, maybe you would miss out on, maybe there's some value in going to a town and promoting WWE and having people go, a few thousand people go to a WWE event for a day. Maybe that has some value in it. But I think all of those things, all, all that value that would be lost is probably worth it compared to the value that you would gain in terms of the, uh, the improved physical health of your workers and the morale that it would that would give them by giving them a few more days off one of the things that people talk about i think Meltzer talks about it when people talk about AEW, is that they've got they've only got to wrestle once a week whereas w wrestlers have to wrestle maybe four times a week
2: you know i would always say that wwe has a lot of people on their roster and so when you have a lot of people on your roster that gives you the ability to tour a lot And if they cut out a lot of live events, it would be very interesting to see whether they continue to employ as many people on their roster. I I just think
3: it's something that uh, there's a lot of stuff here that we don't know and we don't know what's being accounted where. But I think there should be like a a serious thought about whether or not in 2019 house shows are still relevant. I understand how they were were more relevant in a previous era where, you know, people didn't know what was happening on house show A versus what was happening on, on the next night. But uh, it, it made sense in a territorial era where you had a TV show and, and the live event was basically what what became like the pay-per-view in terms of you you ran the TV to build up the, the angles and the, and the interviews that would get the fans to go to the event and buy a ticket. And that's sort of been at least partially replaced by the W Network and by pay-per-view over, over the last you know 30 years or so so that the, the house show becomes less relevant to the point where I think we need to consider – at least in WB's case, whether it's even worth it to be running at least as many house shows as they do.
2: It's, it's a huge question, Mark. I, I, you know, I gotta believe that there's um a lot of pushes and pulls on it. You know, one thing that makes wrestlers good wrestlers is the ability for them to hone their skills. Yeah. And and as and, I said a couple quarters ago, when we have Vince McMahon on a conference call
3: talking about how, well, the reason why the metrics are down is because of talent absences because of injuries. Well, maybe you'd have fewer injuries if you didn't have wrestlers wrestling as many times a week as you do.
2: That's that's certainly one of the theories about what causes injuries. Um and, I, I I believe you have may, may have done some studies around that. I have looked at the numbers. I I don't know if I ever came to a firm firm conclusion, except for to say it appeared that people that wrestled two hundred times a year were far more likely to then suffer a long injury than the people that were not wrestling two hundred times a year. Did, didn't and, Didn't
3: uh, D- Daniel Bryan like uh, quote some of your work on a Talking Smack episode or something, or something that was sort of derived from uh, something that Meltzer published in the Observer or
2: something? I I do think it's been. Um, you know different people have have interpreted it in lots of different ways and i do i do recall something about that where one time it was kind of pseudo quoted um like, but like, again, like like all great I,
3: philosophical works they get interpreted and misinterpreted and
2: well whatever. i think actually i don't even know if he, he quoted anything about injuries i think he just quoted something about the number of times he worked you know and just t- kind of talking about the idea of like well i worked i wrestled this many matches last year and this guy only wrestled this many matches this last year and this and that mm-hmm. um but yeah there, there's certainly something there but I don't know if the concept of live events is dead. I just know that, um, this seems to suggest that right now they're, they're not able to turn a profit. I would like to really spend more time dividing up their attendance numbers. I mean, if they really wanted to do data that was meaningful to the investor to understand their business, the first thing I would say to them is you should be splitting your attendance numbers into televised and untelevised events because clearly these two serve different markets, they serve different purposes, and they tell different things. Yeah. And one of them, I can subsidize this way. The other one of them is much less subsidized, except for as an engagement metric, right? So when Raw comes to Mankato, Minnesota, um, and does a live event, that's very different than when Raw comes to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and does a TV taping, in my mind. Yeah. But you know what the fans of mankato are engaged by having a live event there and when you completely remove that from the mix you you do run the risk that then yes people are not going to be as big of a fans because there's the one thing that i think we've seen uh, time and time again is there is a difference between who watches wrestling on tv and who attends live events for wrestling yeah that's something I i could see w splitting out in
3: the future I think there, there was even a, a an investor slide on one of the conference calls that where Barrios did break out the difference between media events and non-media events.
2: Yeah. The metric that really jumped out to me from this week that I thought was really unusual was the three-month numbers on consumer product licensing, e-commerce, and venue merchandise. So consumer product licensing went down 8%, 7.8 million this year. Quarter is 8.5 last quarter. E commerce was down 16%, 5.7 this quarter, 6.8 last quarter. And then venue merchandise, 3.5 versus 4.3, that's a 19% drop for an overall net revenue drop in the consumer products category of 13%, 17 million this quarter, 19.6 million last quarter. Why is that relevant? Well, one, you ran less events, so that venue merchandise number is actually probably um, not as bad as as you fear because it's actually up four percent they they made about ten oh seven ahead uh last uh, in the nine month period up to now now they're making ten forty three ahead so they're they're still hovering around that ten dollar range and to be really honest um and it was nine thirty eight per person this time in 926 last quarter. So, I mean, it, it's up actually about 1%. And I'll tell you, WrestleMania skews that number really, really heavily. So you really want to look at that number with and without WrestleMania to get a good feel. Uh, number two, the number of e-commerce orders plummeted 27%. There's 115,500 orders this quarter versus 157,900 last quarter. I would love to know, What changed about their e-commerce strategy to see that big of a drop? Because while the the value per order went up a little bit by by about 10%, which suggests people either bundling more or the the offers that they were creating were trying to kind of drive people to buy more items or the value of those items went up or something happening. But 27% drop on online orders just shocks me. That really shocks me. And I don't know if that's because they had an artificially high number um last quarter, and you know this is just them get coming back to reality or something different. But um when I look at the nine month number, that nine month number also down twenty six percent, three ninety four eight hundred versus five thirty one five hundred. So that's a place that really surprises me because I would have thought in the world here where we say there's less people coming to your arenas, maybe you can always make that argument, hey, more people are just buying those t-shirts online. And the only other place you'd expect to kind of see that right would be licensing, where you could say, okay, they're not buying it online. They're not buying it at the events, but maybe they're buying it um indirectly. Maybe they're buying it consumer licensing. And even consumer licensing is down. It was 7.8 million this quarter is 8.6 million last quarter. Yeah. So that doesn't even explain it. So all in all, it it just surprised me a little bit to see Uh, such an important thing of what I think of is like moving t-shirts, which is an interesting metric for the popularity of your brand. Even if it's not the only metric, it's an interesting one to see that number down 26, 27%. I am just a little shocked to see their e-commerce there. Now I should look at what the Oibda is on the e-commerce platform. If that's in maybe the trending schedules or something, you don't, you don't, you don't
3: get, uh, they, they don't give you profit metrics for, for, for those.
2: For a subsection yeah. of a big category. okay. No, you just get I, the I would, big three. Because that's that's the only other area that I'd be really curious about is that, you know, is it a case where, for instance, you're basically giving the house away before and you stopped running so many sales to drive people there? And then that's going to mean you're, you're not necessarily giving away the house anymore. And we do actually see that the... Um, Uh, operating income on consumer products did actually go slightly up this quarter, 3.4 million versus 2.8 million. And for a year to date, it's actually flat, 13.6 million versus 13.4 million on operating income. So it does make me wonder a little bit if this is also a function of maybe they're just running less sales for WWE, uh, online. And that's why the volume went down. But I gotta say, personally, I feel like I'm getting bombarded with ads more and more than ever before.
3: Yeah. Well, on, on consumer product licensing, I think they, they noted over over three months uh, that video game sales were down, and I, I know the first thing everyone wants to think about uh, in the last couple of weeks is, is are the bad reviews that W2K got. Uh, Q3 would have ended before W2K was released. Maybe that has something to do with pre-orders, though, but uh, maybe, maybe mobile games. Uh, over nine months, I believe the note in the 10Q was about uh, diminished sales in toys.
2: Yeah, video games um video games uh the wwe 2k 20 was released on october 22nd um i also see that they mentioned a ghostbusters wwe action figure and i never heard of that let me look that up we're gonna we're gonna pull it pull aside here and see what we got you big ghostbusters fan
3: i i was when i was like four years old yeah
2: Okay, well, I thought maybe you were going to tell me that like you never watched Ghostbusters. Oh no,
3: no, I, I played the Ghostbusters game on Atari. I uh, I watched Ghostbusters on TV. I had Ghostbusters action figures. I may still <laughs> still have them somewhere at my parents' house. I don't know.
2: So if you were to guess, what five relevant Ghostbusters? five relevant WWE superstars are involved in this Ghostbusters uh, deal? Uh, I will say they at least went big—the big show of Honeycomb it's- Fame. It's Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. The Rock. Oh. Steve Austin. Undertaker and John Cena.
3: Well, all their, all their current top stars. Right. Okay. And,
2: uh, and it looks like maybe there's also a version that has Triple H, uh, as one of them too. No, no, that's Austin. It just looks a little bit like Triple H. Okay. Yep. So that, that's the five I mentioned. So. Okay. Yes. Uh, hey, if you're going to sell the licensees, that's what licensees want to see, right? They want, they're going to want the, they're going to, they're going to want the names they know and that they think are going to sell. So right. it's, it's not a dumb move, but it just sure. kinda, it, it does speak a lot to if you're one of the 200 and something person on the talent, how you must feel when you see that.
3: Right. I mean, I have no issue with the choice. It's more about like what it's the circumstances that have led to that being the choice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's I just uh, got completely off track from our mm-hmm. original uh, discussion. It, it, it's but, very uh,
3: similar to, by the way, the, the Smackdown ads that I saw, which did have some current. Stars in them, but we're we're just loaded with Steve Austin and The Rock and The Undertaker and Ric Flair.
2: But again, if you're trying to reconnect with lapsed fans and you're trying to talk to them about Fox now being this ability for you to watch, the last time WWE had network programming, i.e., programming that wasn't locked away on cable, was probably well Saturday Night Main Event. Well, but before that, like SmackDown regularly, you know, because Saturday Night Main Event didn't do very well in the ratings. Yeah. So like, so like SmackDown. And those were people that were around at that era of SmackDown, even if it was the tail end. You know, yes, a lot of them were gone, but but in the earlier parts, you know, when SmackDown was hot, yeah, you you, you got to sell with the you got to sell with the assets that are going to keep the eyeballs glued. That's for sure. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what happened on the Q and A. Uh, what what did we learn? Who was there? Who answers? And uh, was it just the same two analysts asking questions over and over again? This
3: was a long Q and A. I wonder if it was to, to compensate for a lack of Vince man on the call, but there were fourteen analysts. Ask questions i believe this ran about about 50 minutes five zero minutes um we we got some new pillars are you, are you aware what the new Barrios pillars are
2: i think that the titan tower must be the most reinforced uh a building in the world with all the pillars that have, have emerged over the years but what is what is our three pillars right now
3: there was much talk by george Barrios about the investment that they're making to the in-ring product that That's code for wrestling, but the, the investment that they've made to the in-ring product Berrios said we've also accelerated investments to support the creation of our core in-ring content while reducing or delaying other expenses to lessen the impact of that spending so that makes it sound like okay they're they're spending less in some areas, but they're spending more in some other areas, in in the area related to in-ring content, which he said there are three pillars involved in in this in creating this in-ring content number one storytelling In some areas that was called booking number two talent which which involves recruitment development and retention of that talent and number three the production elements that go along with producing the in-ring content
2: so that that says interesting things so number one storytelling i'm going to guess that that is a little bit of the the mantra of why do you announced eric bischoff and paul Heyman, right is that you're, you're basically trying to make a big bold statement about who your leadership is in that storytelling area yes. or the more recent announcement of Bruce Pritchard. Yes. So, you know, something that for a long time, we never heard anything about, right. Yeah. Is you couldn't tell me who was quote unquote, the writer of, of SmackDown or raw, whether it's Dave Kapoor or, or, or whoever, um, you know, Brian, uh, Gerwitz. Yeah. or, or whomever it was because they, WWE never really put that phrase forward whether right. it's road dog or whomever. And now suddenly that that's a big deal that they, they they're shooting, shooting out press releases about the number two talent, recruit, developer Tane. So talent recruit, uh, definitely seeing a lot on that, right. Every time they do an NXT, like a uh, tryout class, we see like pictures and names of those people, um, develop, uh, NXT, arguably, you know, bigger, bigger, uh, spotlight than ever with their, uh, USA network, uh, exposure to performance centers. Um, and and the performance centers the new performance centers yep and then retain um kind of an interesting one because you could say that this is almost uh part of the implied people who have said they don't want to renew their contract with wwe but they do or the people that indicated like they might not are and or they might not and then they suddenly seem like they're there longer than they originally expected Mm -hmm. but like you know the club you know carl anderson and luke gallows kind of resigning with wwe wasn't that a big announcement
3: I don't, I don't know if that was a big knowledge in, in terms of like the WWE say something publicly about it. I don't know. But my impression is that since since the beginning of this year, since which coincides with the launch of AEW, uh, not, not to mention there are other companies like New Japan, uh, there's been an increased competition for talent. And that has caused the cost of talent, I'm under the impression, that's caused the cost of the, the talent to go up quite a bit.
2: I I have no idea whether the cost is going up or down. I just know that it seems like they are aggressive about – You have um, no idea. You have no idea. I don't know what WWE pays people. Okay. Okay. Uh, And I I think it's
3: interesting too within this talent line. There is talk of WWE looking into maybe buying stardom. But Bushi Road, the parent company of New Japan, has bought stardom.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting example. and, And then the last part is production. Production, you know, we are seeing, you know, with the new sets and whatnot and the new camera angles and the new, um, uh, the having to shoot shows live versus taping them ever, you know, it, it's, it, the production costs are always going to be, um, an area where as the cost of live sports goes up and the competition to portray live sports in unique ways, um, that's a really expensive area. And that's an area that you have to be, you know, cutting edge and, and you do have to reinvent yourself over time. And you know, I, I think even everything from the CGI graphics that sometimes appear on a WWE broadcast, right? You know, where they'll like have a, a giant snake statue appear when when Randy Orton's doing something and you'll be like, Is that actually in the arena or is that like an augmented reality thing?
3: Yes. The um what's Bray Wyatt's TV show called?
2: The Playhouse? The,
3: the yeah, f- fire, fire Firefly Funhouse. Yeah. Um, okay. Then there were there was you have more on that? No, I don't. Okay. So there was also a question about whether or not there's going to be just one Saudi Arabia event in future years or two, as there has been for the last two years. This is a Laura Martin question where she asked – uh she basically just asked that. Berrios said uh that he can't talk to that right now, especially around 2020. We said for the reasons I mentioned, we want to talk about 2020 once we've locked down several elements that are still open. So I really can't answer that question. So that's Barrios uh reiterating something that was already written in the press release about how WWE expects to give a lot of guidance about 2020 once they do their Q4 uh, report which will come out in February.
2: So is that WWE's way of saying that they would love to talk about Saudi Arabia in depth next year in 2020? Are they opening the door for everyone to ask them lots of questions about KSA? I don't think so, but I think it's oh. I think it's I think it's WWE saying leaving it
3: uh, open that maybe there's not going to be two events and who knows what happened maybe maybe there were were talks between vincent and, and the saudi government or whoever he he made this deal with the general sports authority uh that that uh, maybe that was one of the, the the issues that they were
2: dealing around Indeed. Speaking of uh, storytelling, Eric Bischoff. Was there any questions about uh, you know the leadership? Brandon Ross, who who's uh,
3: with a different firm now. I forget the new name of it, but no longer with BTIG. Brandon Ross wanted to know about Eric Bischoff and just what the deal was there, why he was uh, let go and replaced by Bruce Pritchard. Um, and Barrio said he's not going to talk specifically about any individual, either Paul or Eric, because. Uh, Brandon Ross's question mentioned Paul Heyman as well, but we feel really good about the changes we made to the structure of the creative process.
2: Wow. feels okay. really good
3: about the creative process. So
2: well, it's good to know. Yeah. Um, it it was, you know, it, I think it was just intriguing when, when you're seeing press releases like about Bruce Pritchard and whatnot, just again, I, I think understanding, I, I say it all the time, but the more you understand, um, the business priorities of the presidents of WWE, Barrios and Michelle, the easier I think it is to interpret some of the information of how they share. Mm-hmm. So in this case, like understanding that storytelling to them is a big deal, then suddenly it makes more sense about why you're suddenly going to make a announcement about how Bruce Pritchard is an EVP, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to say, huh, why is this going on? So when on October 15th, when he was named the executive director of SmackDown, um, you know, it was it was very interesting here. And uh, they mentioned he has an extensive background in character development and creative storytelling. Bruce Bichard does. Yes, yes, that was that was the um, the way they put it. So just intriguing, intriguing situations for sure. Um what other questions have people kind of come to you with to say hey Brandon Howard? Well there person, was there, there was one
3: more interesting question on the conference call about Okay. Um I believe it's Mike Hickey from is that Benchmark? Mike Hickey. Anyway, he asked about the emergence of AEW if if uh Barrios had any any thoughts on that and the impact of the business. And uh Barrios went into his line about well everyone's competition there's there's this tier where NFL is sort of on its own and then there's this next tier where where we live in and the NBA and be, and baseball and NASCAR. You know, everybody's a competitor to some degree, and we try to drive, drive as much engagement as we can on Monday and Friday nights, notably leaving out Wednesday night. And uh, there's a lot of competition for eyeballs, but we take them seriously, he says. Our expectation is we win.
2: And what was what was the WWE announcement um, you know, after the first week of ratings where they talked about remember they put out their announcement about uh let's see if I can find it. Just when they had the quote right after the first week, you know they, of they specific. Yeah, well, no, no, this first week of NXT versus AEW, they had kind of. Their, I heard something about that, but I didn't see it. Oh, they they just released something where they said it very clearly, like "Congratulations, mm. welcome, welcome to the dance," something like that. I can't remember now, but I just thought it was in, intriguing. You know that that you know that was one of the first times that we saw them kind of preemptively react. But um, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a question that you know. It, it's always fascinating to me when people analysts discover that there's other wrestling companies out there, mm-hmm. you know, like as if ring of honor, TNA, new Japan, and lots of other MLW, um, lots of other companies haven't existed in the past. And, uh, it's, it's intriguing to see how long their focus on those things is, whether it's short or long. So it will, it will be, Something that to just to watch, I think, going forward here, just to see, you know, what's the narrative. And part of that narrative is certainly created by the wrestling media itself. You know, yeah. in, the click, in the clickbait world, there's this desire to make things into wars, and there's a desire <laughs> to make things into information that can be immediately digested into a winner and a loser.
3: Yes, you're, you're being very nice as usual. But I, th- I think this situation with AEW is very different from... All the other companies that have come uh, in the last 20, 25 years or so, even TNA at its peak. Um, i sure TNA was on spike, and that was in a lot of homes. Um, but unlike uh, AEW, TNA did, didn't demonstrate uh, such an ability to sell tickets to events and to sell out major venues as AEW has. Um, what else has been there? Not n- Nobody really in, in the U.S. – I mean, New Japan has uh, has done some some impressive houses. Uh, but New Japan is not uh, – they're not based here. They're based in Japan. They're only ever going to run a minority of events in the U.S. in all likelihood, although they just, they just did roll out the New Japan USA brand, so who knows what will happen.
2: But, New um, Japan of America. Is that what it's called? I um, believe I, – I think it's something like that. New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. And you, you do have to think that that would be a competition for their NXT brand in terms of fans, interest, and markets yeah. and building size. Yeah. And – uh. I guess another difference between AEW and, say,
3: TNA is is, is the backing. The backing uh, for AEW is a bit more serious than uh, than the Carter family. Anything to add to that?
2: Just that, you know, partnerships are important. So, you know, seeing Turner, Warner Media um, involvement with AEW is also very relevant uh, because it's a, a very big company and has a very big backbone.
3: Yeah. Ted Turner is after them again. Um, there, there was another, just a follow-up question about. Barris didn't really give an answer to it, but the question was whether AEW is challenging the normal expense that WWE expects to be put on talent. Whether there is any challenge that AEW is putting on their engagement metrics. Uh, Chris Jericho was named specifically as someone that that uh, WWE lost. You could also he wasn't mentioned, but you could also add Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley to that list. And uh, Barris' response to this was basically just to go through his talking points about how they're investing in uh, in those three core elements, those three pillars. Of talent to attract, develop, and retain.
2: So, do you think AEW's three pillars are like blood, guts, and. <laughs> things of that nature. <laughs> things of that nature. Yes.
3: Um. Yeah, I, I, I would have to ask the AEW C, CFO.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know if AEW has a CFO.
3: No. Yeah. Maybe they're vice president of business, business and strategy
2: then. That's a good question. Yeah. What questions did Russell listeners send you? Russell Namix listeners uh, sent uh, sent me a few questions. Uh,
3: first question here is, uh, this is from the Beast Slayer six six seven. There are a lot of questions on the call. He writes about WWE spending too much on talent and it's hurting their profits. Do you think there is a genuine concern, and they might need to stop uh, stockpiling so much talent? Um, I think it's a, it's an expense that WWE can afford uh i think compared to the enormous tv rights fees that they have that are guaranteed and that are going to escalate over the next 5 years i don't think that the expense that they're having to pay for talent right now is uh so large that it that it really puts a lot of pressure on them compared to the enormous money that they're going to get coming in uh for tv rights i i think we just went through all these different metrics that are that are declining uh with the a uh, big exception of core content rights, that is the rights fees rights that they get for Raw and SmackDown. And they're only going to grow enormously over the next five years. Um, and I don't think the expense of talent – I don't have any real numbers, but I don't get the impression that the expense of talent is coming close to really
2: causing a problem for them. I think there's other second-order challenges that things create, which can be good or bad. So this last week, the big deal was they – couldn't have so many people come back for SmackDown, right? So what did WWE do to react to that? NXT they came pretty, out. Yeah, mm-hmm. NXT came in. So they were able to say, hey, uh, and, and vice versa, what did they do to NXT when the ratings began to uh, flag? Are, are you, couple, go ahead. Pulled a couple stars from from the other brands, right? Like Finn Balor mm-hmm. coming back to NXT. Right. I don't know if that was a reactive decision, but but yes. But my point being, you do get the ability with a large talent pool to shift when when you're dealt difficult hands in in other ways that you might not have been able to do normally. So there is, you know, having a lot of talent can also have positive effects that you can, you know, react to things in different ways. What I would worry about is a class size argument. If you have a ton of people down in the PC And you're at a point here where it's very hard to really get the attention or the growth or the, you know, uh, ability to stand out. Is that infrastructure built in such a way that you can continue to recruit people there and you can continue to get people to develop in a meaningful way? Yeah. You know, is, is there a challenge at a certain point where you're just losing people in the mix? Yeah, this this, um, this
3: brings to mind something Barros did, did say when I said he danced around the question. He did bring up the fact that, well, we, we think people will pick WWE because we have the biggest platform by an order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude than anybody else. And he did did say wrestling companies.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, let's, let's be honest in terms of, uh, major market media shows, they have more major market media shows than anybody else. They have raw, they have SmackDown and they have USA all appearing on major cable networks as first run programming. You know, everyone else has one show at most. Yeah. So it, you know, they, they are much, much bigger and they're running hundreds of shows, you know, and that's not even including all the NXT shows that they're running. Um, you know, each year. And and so they, they do have the ability to do that. Is there a genuine concern? Um, you know, the only thing that I would, only thing I would ever wonder is with all the lawsuits that have ever happened, you know, a lot of things that they come up with is they say the statute of limitations has run out. And we can't even evaluate your claim because the statute of limitations has run out. I wonder if you have that many people and they become that disgruntled. Is that going to change? Or maybe
3: someone starts a union or questions the uh, class action lawsuit over the independent contractor employee issue.
2: Next question. Similar question, question yes. from it's, 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 someone.
3: We, was, we can read through, the, it and, uh, we read through it and see if this, we've already answered this. But what, what does W Talent roster payroll look like? And has it increased in proportion to TV rights increase? Uh, it's an interesting piece as it relates to the profitability and margins on TV deals that have had that had to have changed thanks to increase in competition for talent this year.
2: So in other words, did getting more TV money equal more money for the wrestlers themselves? Probably not directly. Did uh competition in the wrestling space mean that some deals might have improved for some people? Uh hard to say, but uh that that's certainly been reported by others. Yeah. And
3: others have reported that the talent uh, and NXT who are now appearing not just on the WWE network but on USA network have not gotten pay increases that uh, maybe they expected. Uh MJ from NJ who asked that question also asks, we know the stock took a massive hit, how did this Q's negative trend stack up uh to past quarters pre-TV deals and where was the stock at that level? How do we quantify the magnitude of US TV rights increases in terms of stock price and market cap of company?
2: That's an interesting question. I mean, part of it's to say that the WWE stock never really shot above $20 a share for years and years and years and years. So, you know, the fact that they are $55 now is just totally different world. So um, it, it's hard for me to kind of even conceptualize, you know, kind of some of that question. Um, arguably the market cap thing is intriguing from the standpoint of uh, let's see here. So yeah, WWE stock for years and years, it, it when it first launched was maybe around $24 a share. Then it was hovering between 10 and 20. Then it was under 10 for a while, shut up to, you know, near 20. And then it was that whole WWE, uh, rights, uh, climb and decline. So in, in mid t- 2014, which was the last kind of big deal making time where they shot as high as $31 by in middle of March. And then by the end of may, it was already down in that, that, you know, $12 range. So, um, it's just at $55, we're already still in a different stratosphere to where it was in terms of the market cap of the company for years and years, the market cap of the company was not that impressive. Now the market cap of the company has, you know, really entered that billions of dollars range, uh, partially because of the new TV rights deals. Um, I don't know if I'm really answering his questions, but those those were just things to think about.
3: And I would think about, well, the stock price, even before the TV deals were announced, it it was... The stock price was increasing and maybe some of that was speculation on upcoming TV rights deals, but I think it was getting up to in the 30s or so, right? And and then they got the, this 3.6X deal and there's a lot of speculation that the India deal would be an increase as well. The expectation that the UK uh, deal would be a, an increase too, and it looks like it's not much of an increase. So I think that's why we've seen the stock price shoot up from 30 to 100 to 55 right now.
2: Yeah um what impact will the q4 results have on the stock uh interesting question uh the first thing is it depends on how they perform against what they promised right the the reason the stock goes up or down most of the time is whether or not they outperformed or underperformed versus the expectations that were set against them not necessarily whether they're doing better or worse than they were a year ago I I think the big questions about what the stock
3: does related to something that we anything that we learn in Q4 is sort of the same things that that were an issue in, in this quarter is is there news on an India TV deal is there news on a MENA TV deal is there news on whether there's going to be one event or two Saudi events next year
2: and i will also add um a question that they had from um i think one of the analysts which is does the NXT television show joining USA network have any meaningful impact on their revenue or profit some reported that's worth an average of 30 million dollars a year um, but what was george's answer when when he was asked that
3: question uh he he didn't uh, make it sound like it I, I, we would have to look in the transcript he, he didn't give a clear answer he didn't uh, he, i think he basically just sold it as you know, We've decided to take this off the network and put it on to, in this case, the USA Network uh, for the sake of building this value like we've built with Raw and SmackDown uh, of enormous live TV rights revenue. Not at all necessarily saying that it was worth a lot of money or any money.
2: Well, you would, you would expect that their their 2019 OIBDA projections would have gone up if it was worth a ton of money and hadn't been baked into the process already. Yeah, and, oh, unless and, and, unless other metrics have dropped so much that they counteracted that growth.
3: Yeah, and, and in the larger picture of WWE 30 million dollars a year is nice, but it's not a
2: ton. No, it's not. You're you you're right on uh, 30 million revenue a year yeah. is not necessarily a lot of OEBDA, adjusted adjusted um depending on, you know, what that margin looks like cuz again, uh the cost of producing live television can actually be quite expensive.
3: Yeah. Uh, th- that was from Sebastian Matila and uh this is from Bix has W ever outright said that the other uh, segment contains the Saudi money? Uh, it it does, and they have said so.
2: That was my 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 answer, too. If I were to go back, I don't think they admitted to it the, the quarter that it happened, but I swear then the next time that they lapped that quarter and the timing was different, they said something like, this is due to the timing of our Saudi event.
3: Yeah, I mean, we could look, in, look into the quarter reports and the, te- the 10 Qs. I believe there's a sentence or two that will confirm that.
2: But uh, interesting question for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, that has been um, our takeaways from uh, the WWE uh, Q3, and also more accurately, WWE Q1 through Q3 comparison. Uh, you've got a bunch of documents that I think I don't know. Are you putting these out there for the world to see? What? What do you all, mean? All these metrics, all these charts, all these things you've done. I uh, I should be doing
3: another PDF which I did for the last quarter. I did the last one though for Q2 before the WB report. And I've now told myself that I'll do this one after the Q3 report so that I have the up-to-date WB data. Uh, so I should be doing that very soon. Shouldn't
2: Okay, Should be. So th- so that will hopefully mean that people are able to not only support your work by going and downloading it and possibly even uh, offering you a, a pay-per-click uh thing but they can uh see hey, some paper download paper them. download i would never be compensated by pay-per-click oh okay. i would never i was thinking, such a situation. thinking maybe it becomes uh the articles that then people are 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 repurposing for their websites now would you would you suggest mm-hmm. would you suggest people that run wrestling websites just to download your pdf and then turn it into a series of articles um sure i would be fine with that especially if they
3: uh Included a link to the uh, if I put this on Payhip on Payhip so that they can. Well, there you go. That's, and through that's... through Payhip is a thing where you can download for free or name your own price.
2: And and it helps pay for hip surgeries. It can. It certainly can pay for hip surgeries.
3: Oh, good, good.
2: How is your hip doing? My hip is fine.
3: I'm I'm in great physical shape because unlike W wrestlers, I'm not wrestling four nights a week.
2: Ah, I see. How, how, when is the next time you're wrestling and how can people see you?
3: The next time I'm wrestling is next Saturday in Erie, Pennsylvania, where I'm actually wrestling Jay Freddy. That won't be on any streaming service, though. I am um, wrestling for ESW on November 23rd in Lockport, our big, the biggest show of the year for Empire State Wrestling. And uh, you should be seeing me uh, in the coming weeks, probably, again, for Uncharted Territory on IWTV.
2: Wonderful. I'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina this week for Wednesday's Dynamite. And on uh, Saturday, full gear pay-per-view. Who are, you wrestling? You Who are you wrestling? For the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. And it'll uh, be a, a great card. And we, we recommend people that are interested in watching cool professional wrestling consider buying that pay-per-view event. I'm not going to give the whole plug just to, to, to make it not seem like a paid endorsement or anything like that. But I'm, I'm sure if you just Google Full Gear, AEW can find out more information. And if you want to meet Mookie, just look for the flat cat. Right? You know, I have there, there was there was great panic yeah, on the Internet when I said I had lost my hat. And I was able to find it, but not everyone saw that it was found. And so there was great concern at one point. But no, I will have the hat. I do wear the hat. I have been stopped at every event I've gone to where someone has recognized me. And uh, did the, did police officers in Florida have to recover it for you? No, no, I had lost it in Minnesota, actually. I just misplaced it in my house. I found it. I uh, uh, returned it. And I do wear the, the hat whenever I go to the events. And uh, last week, I took the hat off. Um, after the event, when I came down to the bar and my co-workers literally did not even recognize me. True story. Will those those hats be available at AEW Merchandise Stands in the future? You know, I don't uh, think that I have a uh, royalty rate uh, set up with the company, so I don't even know if it's in my interest to try and sell those hats. Will they be available at prowrestlingtees.com then? (laughs) Uh, Maybe maybe they should be available at wrestlenomics.com. Okay. And uh, uh, the money should go to uh, fund uh, a cup for Jay Freddie. Just set up a pay hat. There you go. A Com. Okay. Well, it's, it's been a, a fun catching up with you, uh, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston III. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been an a interesting time to learn more about the WWE results. And I appreciate you ta- letting me tag along so I can uh, uh, go through this analysis on your dime. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network for
3: hosting us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.